0: Hey guys, welcome to this week's roundup. I have a few things to talk about, and we also have an interview with Marcus, the creator of the open source scan converter. So uh, I'm pretty excited to have him on. Um, I always like having on the developers of the people that design some of the stuff that I use all the time, because I always fanboy out and I have all these questions that I want to ask them about, you know, how I could use it, and I kind of nerd out on it. But uh, I hope you guys will enjoy it as much as I did, and I guess let's jump right into the news. Firebrand X released his latest version of the NES RGB color palette update. So this all started when he bought a NES RGB kit for his Nintendo, and noticed that none of the colors from any of the palettes exactly matched what the original composite video output was on the Nintendo consoles. So he actually went in and he's been trying to match up exactly what it would look like, both on a upscaler through a flat screen TV, or on an RGB monitor. Um, and this latest version, version 6, seems to be the perfect one, where everything lines up pretty much exactly, and you get the best experience on both uh, both types of displays, flat screen or CRT. So anybody that has an SRGB board, um, if you have a, a chip flasher, you can upgrade it yourself, or I'm pretty sure all the people that offer an SRGB mods will offer an upgrade service as well if you'd like to send it to them to have it flashed, but... Um, I'm getting my Famicom in in a few weeks, and I'm definitely requesting that color palette, so I'll make sure to review it when it comes in. While this next bit of news isn't quite retro gaming related, it was pretty awesome, and I had to share it with everybody. A group of researchers from Norway have used a Pac-Man-style maze to observe microorganisms. So from what I gathered from the paper, microorganisms that are usually observed in a Petri dish generally just clumped together, making them harder to research and to to kind of see how they interact. So they designed a full Pac-Man-style maze that was no wider than one millimeter across, and they had the microorganisms flow through them, and they even interacted with other ones, kind of making it look like an actual Pac-Man-style thing. So I thought that was really awesome that people, uh, people used... So, uh, something so familiar as Pac-Man to do genuine research with it, so I got the the video playing next to me on YouTube for people that are watching, and I'll link to it for people on the podcast to see it themselves. Crix has just announced that he's updating his entire line of Genesis ROM carts. He's calling them the X3, X5, and X7, obviously following Intel's naming structure. The X3 is going to be $49, which is really, really cheap for a ROM card. I thought that was awesome. Uh, and the X5 is $89, and the X7 is pretty much exactly like the Mega EverDrive version 2 that's out now with no differences. Um, there's really not much functionality lost in the X3, Um, I'll put the chart up uh, for anybody that's interested and link to it, but from what I gather it pretty much just loses some of the extra save functionality on the very few games that use it, and there's no SMS pause button on it. Um, The X5 is pretty much just like the regular um, Genesis EverDrive now, but adds a lot more functionality to it, including Sega CD backup RAM functionality, which comes in handy a lot, especially if you have a Sega CD that's not plugged in all the time. Those little batteries in them will die constantly, and you lose all your save games, which stinks, because I have a lot of cool save games that I've lost over the years on that. But they'll be released in August, um, and I'll post more information when they're actually up. But I guess the, the short way to say it is, if you already have the Mega Everdrive, then there's no reason to upgrade. It's the same thing. And if you already have one of the cheaper ones, they're I mean, there might not be a reason to upgrade unless you had already wanted more functionality anyway. So this is really just for people that don't have a Genesis ROM cart yet. Uh, And if you don't, wait till August and pick one of these up. Even the cheap ones seems like it's going to be pretty great. Speaking of ROM carts, I actually just bought an SD2 SNES knockoff cart from China. Now before everybody gets pissed, I've owned a real SD2 SNES for a long time and I always support the developers. But there's been so much talk on the forums about these knockoffs that I really wanted to see what it was like and what it was all about. Um, It was very cheap, and it arrived reasonable, you know, from two or three weeks. Um, And it looked the same, and I'll throw the pictures up here for anybody that's watching on YouTube. But it even said made by it gave an older manufacturing date, but it did not work at all with MSU Audio. Uh, And it it did load a lot of the games pretty quickly, but uh, a lot of the other functions didn't quite work as well. So, as I suspected, stay away from the knockoffs. I mean, yeah, they're way cheaper, but there's no support on them, and they just don't work right. So, uh, anybody that actually wants the functionality, especially for the MSU stuff, which, you know, there's a lot of reasons to buy an SD2 SNES, but that is my number one reason. Um, definitely just buy it from the reputable places and forget about any of these knockoffs trying to steal from them. So just wanted to post my experiences up, and uh, if anybody has any thoughts on that, please post in the comments. And even more ROM cart news, Saint has just announced a list of features that are potentially on the list for his Jaguar ROM cart. So when it is eventually released, it's going to be released with basic functionality. It'll play all the ROMs, um, and possibly some extra things. He's going to try for Jaguar CD loading as a ROM, so you could load the image from the ROM card as well, which would be really cool, because those Jaguar CD drives are just ridiculously expensive, and I think it would be fun for all the fans to experience the games on the actual Jaguar, even if they are terrible. I mean, it's nice to actually be able to experience them without spending 500 bucks on a CD unit and then, you know, trying to track down games. But the list of features that could be on in the future... Are things like um, multiplayer over internet through TCP/IP, so you could hook up an Ethernet adapter to it, and keyboard and mouse input, you know, USB mass storage. It's it's kind of cool to see what he's thinking of for it. Me personally, selfishly, would rather see Nintendo Genesis and Super Nintendo have things like multiplayer over the internet. But I mean, to the thought of me playing real Contra on a real Nintendo with my cousin Scott, who lives you know an hour and a half away in Brooklyn. It, that would be pretty awesome, but anybody that's starting this for any console, it's going to be a huge leap forward, so um, I'll be pre-ordering as soon as it comes up. There's absolutely no news on that yet. Of course, I would tweet about that and talk talk about it here as soon as it comes out, but it's just very cool to see somebody going really going the extra mile with this next ROM cart project, and hopefully we'll all be able to experience it soon. In their annual shareholder meeting, Nintendo announced that they were considering making smartphone peripherals, including a possible game controller. So this is something I think is pretty important because there have been some amazing indie games over the years, like uh, Random Heroes, that absolutely require a D-pad to really feel like you know a retro game, a side scroller should feel. And they've also had a bunch of really great classics re-released, like the Sonic games, Contra, Double Dragon, and playing those with a touchscreen is just awful. There are some games that are great with a touchscreen that are designed for it, like Rayman's Jungle Run is one of them. My friend The Game Hunter actually reviewed that one, and uh, I ended up um, buying it because of his suggestion. He's got a great YouTube channel, which I'll link to, by the way, but... Um, for games that aren't designed specifically for the touchscreen, um, you really need a controller. And I've always loved the 8-Bit do's Super Nintendo-style one. It, uh, I reviewed that on my site a while back, and it feels just like a Super Nintendo controller. But they also have this clip that allows you to attach your smartphone to it, and it's pretty solid. And you could play, and it just, I mean, it's, it's perfect. It feels like playing on a weird widescreen Game Boy. Um, but the issue is, a lot of those games just weren't designed for Bluetooth support. So if you have Nintendo making both games and peripherals, it would be a huge step forward, and I think mobile gaming, for at least the old farts like me that love a D-pad and a side-scroller, I think that would really take off and make a big difference. So I hope they actually do it. The game Cave Story has been ported over to the Genesis console. Now, Cave Story is a retro-style side-scroller that was on the Wii and a bunch of other consoles, and somebody actually had been porting it to the Genesis for a while now. Um, I'd played earlier versions, and I never really reported on it, because there are a few bugs here and there, but a, newest, a newer version was just released, and it's great. I mean, I played about 25 minutes into it, and the gameplay feels just as good as the Wii version, but now I get to play it on an RGB monitor on a Genesis with the Genesis controller. So as you could tell, I'm pretty excited about this, because I love the game, Um, And this is the type of game that I would love no matter when it was released. If this was released when I was a kid, I would have gone nuts over it. This was released a few years ago on the Wii. I loved it then. This is just such a great side-scroller. So anybody that has a Genesis and a ROM cart, I really recommend you give it a try. And there's a bunch of walkthroughs too, so a few of the parts are a little confusing on what to do, but um, if you're like me and you like to figure it out, you'll end up killing a lot of time just trying to figure out the little secrets. But if you get stuck, um, all the walkthroughs are the same, uh, and it's a great game, so definitely give it a try. Now onto the Q&A stuff. A lot of the developers that had worked on some of those MSU projects actually have been commenting and have contacted me, and uh, there was a lot of discussions about that, and it was really cool. Uh, I plan on having them all on as guests pretty soon, probably within the next few months, maybe corresponding around one of the next releases of the MSU games. But uh, I was really excited about that because I'm such a big fan of those. And I've actually been playing through the BS Zelda game that I talked about last week. Um, and I try to do it, you know, one hour at a time, the full hour, and, and really just sit and experience it. And it's been great. Um, they did such a good job on that. And. and it's just a shame that Nintendo wasn't able to give that to the rest of the world for so long, and that only people in Japan with the Satellaview were able to do it. So now we all can, and um, I really hope everybody with a SD 2 SNES really tries it out, because uh, I don't know, I thought it was amazing, and I'm really looking forward to having those guys on at some point as a guest. YouTube user Devilitate said that he's going to be buying a pre-modded SNES Mini on eBay. And wanted to know if I could reveal the seller I talked about last week. What his name was to avoid him. Um, I don't want to start a smear campaign yet, but uh, to quickly answer your question, the best thing to do is to buy an unmodded SNES Mini and then use one of the known modders. Uh, I list a few on my site. There's a few others. If you just go on the forums, you could definitely see you know who offers modding services. That's good. Um, and that not only is that a better way to do it, it might actually be cheaper in the long run, depending on where you can get the mini from. Um, if you do really want to buy on eBay, if there's nobody in your area, if shipping back and forth would cost too much, basically just ask for pictures and then reference all the other pictures you see online. I mean, if it's held together by a pound of hot glue and you know, there's components stacked on top of each other, it's not a good job. You don't have to be a soldering expert to see what that's like. But, you know, if it looks like good, clean work and their feedback says it's good, then that's fine. Um, to update everybody on that situation from last week, the seller told the buyer to ship the SNES Mini back, and he'll ship him a new one. He said he refused to re- refund his money, but he would ship him another one. The seller saw from the tracking number that it had arrived, and then the guy just won't return any of his emails anymore. So he won't... There's no, hasn't been a new one shipped out to him yet. No word on the one that he had sent back, so it's really a shame. Um, luckily, eBay treats their buyers pretty well. They treat their sellers like crap, but they treat their buyers well, so hopefully this guy will be able to get his money back and have eBay step in and cancel the transaction, but I, I just, I felt really bad for him, because he had no way of knowing what he was buying until it was too late, so uh, yeah, I mean, if it, if the situation gets really bad, I'll I'll just tweet about it and send everybody to the guy's eBay eBay account, but... Hopefully it'll all get worked out and it won't come to that. YouTube user Moon asked about using a Dreamcast on a Sony PVM monitor and if you need an Extron Emotion to do that. So, great question, and unfortunately it's pretty complicated of an answer. So if you're simply just talking about you want to play your Dreamcast through a PVM, it's best just to get the Toro from the Behar Brothers because it's got a SCART output, it has a sync combiner built in, And basically, you just set it once, plug it in, and forget it. It'll work fine in all resolutions, provided your display supports 480p. Um, If you're talking about 480p to 240p conversion, that's a totally different story. And I'm pretty sure that's not what Moon was talking about. But for anybody that's interested, um, all Dreamcast games will support 480i. Most will support 480p. But if you're playing on an RGB monitor, 240p and 480i are the best, but most people would probably not like that interlaced look. Some people do. Phone Dork talks all the time about how he actually likes the higher-resolution 480i look for certain games, not all. Um, but I don't. It kind of just hurts my eyes. So if that's the case, yeah, you could actually just get any of the Behar Brothers solutions. You could even get a cheap Kuro, and then set it to VGA mode, put it through a Super Emotion, and then from that into your PVM, and then you get 480p to 240p conversion, and it looks good. It makes the Dreamcast look like a retro console, but a lot of the Dreamcast games aren't retro games. They're a lot more modern. Um, and in that case, I would just play it in 480i mode. If you have some of the boxes like the Kuro or the Hanzo that output RGB HV, um, you could tie the two sync lines together, but it's not really the best solution. You should probably just put it through an Extron RXi box, which converts the sync. Um, That's a lot of acronyms and a lot of explanations, so if you want to just check out on the site the Sync page and the Extron RXi page, that should be able to explain everything else for you. But generally speaking, if you're a huge Dreamcast fan, I would just go with the Toro. Um, And if you're a casual Dreamcast user, you really don't, you know, you leave it in a box and play it now and then, Maybe just get a cheap RGB cable and a cheap VGA cable and then use them accordingly. RGB on the monitor and VGA on like a 480p display. Um, But uh, I've tried pretty much all the solutions and the Toro for me is without a doubt the best. ton of features, works on everything, and it's just a great piece of hardware. So I hope that wasn't too complicated of an answer to the question. But uh, any other questions about that, please let me know. And the last question... On Facebook, Ron McAdams asked if there's any news on the GameCube Video Light external solution. There's going to be a lot more news on this coming up soon, but basically nothing, nothing happening in the short term. The internal solution's coming up first, then there'll be more news on that. But stay tuned within the next few weeks. Um, I'm going to have a ton of news about that. So um, sorry for this silly teaser, but it's just nothing I can really talk about at the moment. Up next is an interview with Marcus, the creator of the open-source scan converter. Before I get into that, I figured I would just give a quick rundown of where I'm at with retro gaming on flat screen TVs. All of this info is going to be on the Upscalers page pretty soon, but I just wanted to give a quick rundown of it. And basically it all comes down to your TV. So if your TV has a lot of lag, nothing's going to make it worth playing on. Um, If your TV is a low lag solution, which is pretty rare and everybody's trying to chase down these low lag TVs, then you have a lot of different options. The only thing I will say is there's a bunch of people, legitimate review sites online, that are posting their lag tests that are just wrong. They're not even close. There was one Vizio TV that the, the reviewer said that it had less than one frame of lag. So I just got it home and did the basic lag test, and it's two and a half frames. And that's only using a certain HDMI input. All the other HDMI inputs, you got five to six frames of lag. And I thought, this is crazy. This is, you know, this is a reputable place, uh, meaning the website that reviewed it. So let me just try it again. So I tried different consoles, different components, different setups, but it's all the same. Even taking a slow-mo video on my iPhone, all the results were identical. Two and a half frames lag, and it's best. So it's really hard to find out what TVs actually have low lag versus, you know, what the reviews say. Um, I'm gonna try to find more info. The guys on the Schmups forum are working with me on this too. Uh, I'm sure there's a bunch of other people that are already talking about this, but and if you guys have the ability to do a lag test on it on your TVs, you know anybody could chime in and let me know. But hard data is what we're looking for, not reviews online. You know, just somebody's actually setting up a signal, splitting it between a CRT and a, a flat screen, and then doing it that way. So um, anybody that has any info on that would be great. Aside from lag is the compatibility with the open source scan converter, because overall the Framemeister is much easier to use today in the fact that you just plug it in and it works. But if the open source scan converter is compatible with your TV, it gives you a whole, other, a whole other option and a whole other way to go about doing it that's also much cheaper. Um, and if your TV is not compatible with it, then there's other ways we're trying to figure out how to make it compatible. So I know I'm kind of complicating things here, but if you think about it, it's not that crazy. So if you have a low-lag TV, but it's not compatible with the open-source scan converter, maybe put that through something else. So we talked about the dvd scaler, which I liked. I thought it was great. Firebrand X did his tests on it. And while it is a lower-lag solution than the Framemeister, meaning the OSSC in through the VP50... Um, he didn't think it got as sharp as the meister did. Uh, people on the forums were saying the VP50 Pro was actually better, but it's a lot of money and a lot of components. Um, uh, what I really was hoping for was just a quick solution. So there's a few DVDO scalers like the Mini and the Micro that are much cheaper. I think the Micro is under $100. Um, if there's anything like that, that would be awesome. So it would be, in my mind, perfectly okay to buy the open-source scan converter and then something like a device that was a hundred bucks or less to make that compatible with your TV, as long as the lag stayed low. So, I guess that was a really... it wasn't as short as I thought, sorry. But, it's still, if you're not sure about your TV's compatibility, and you really want to just play your retro games on it, the Framemeister is still the way to go, just for convenience. But if we could figure out a way to test, if there was a computer program somebody could write just a quick little video test to see if your display is compatible, I would still recommend the Open Source Scan Converter over it, just because there's so many things it could do and so much potential for it. Not to mention, it's always great to support the little guys working on it and not the bigger companies. Um, And the only other solution, of course, to skip all of that is if you're not so into retro gaming and you don't need a lot of these upscalers. Maybe you just have a Genesis and a Super Nintendo. The HD RetroVision cables are awesome as well, but some of the low-lag TVs that I've seen, that I've tested, they didn't work on, which is a shame, because if there really was a 1.5 frame of lag TV that used those cables, that's a pretty great solution. So I'll keep everybody updated on that. Um, and also, the interview itself... Uh, I got to apologize. I did not do as good a job as I normally do. I'm not trying to say I'm a great interviewer or anything, but I thought I got the time difference wrong. I thought we had an interview scheduled at one and like 1215, he instant messages me and says, Hey, are we still doing it. And I kind of panicked. I was still working my real job, so I, you know, I kind of quickly just threw everything aside and ran over and started the interview and I forgot to ask him two or three questions and so I apologize. Please don't blame him if the interview didn't go as, as well as as I thought it would. It's just totally my fault. I was completely unprepared, and he was very patient with me about everything and answered all my questions. So thank you very much to Marcus. Sorry to you guys. I didn't do as good a job of in the interview, and uh, hope you enjoy it. Here he goes. Hey, guys. I'm here with Marcus. How you doing, man? Thanks for doing this. Uh, I'm doing fine. Thanks. Thanks. uh. Obviously, a big fan of your work, big fan of the open source scan converter, and uh, I think everybody that's listening would uh, would love to hear how you got started and and how this whole project came about. Well, I guess it
1: was two or three years ago when I got Frame Master and while I was mostly happy about it, there was a few things I didn't like. So there was a few annoyances like the color issues and then and the latency thing was a big deal because. When I bought it, I thought, I think it was advertised or everybody thought that there's no latency involved. But actually, when I had some time with that, then I found out that it's not really like that. So that was another thing that got me into thinking that how hard would it be to design something like this but simpler.
0: (laughs) That's awesome. I love that mentality of, uh, of, you know, if it doesn't work, I'm going to make a better one. (laughs) Um so do you have a background in this or do, uh, is this something that you just pursued as a hobby?
1: Well mostly about hobby. I've been doing some electronics and IC design and that, that kind of stuff but not really like professionally doing any video conversion stuff or similar.
0: Okay. So did you have to learn this from scratch or were you we able to um, to use some of your existing skills to kind of apply it to this? Uh mostly
1: about the existing skills and of course I've done some video hobbyist projects over the years, so it was, wasn't was completely new. But of course, I've learned lots of new things during the project.
0: Gotcha, gotcha. Um, so I, I've been playing with the, the OSSC for quite a while now. I've passed it along to a few friends, and uh, everybody loves it. Um, some of the features were uh, were pretty cool. I didn't realize that you were going to do uh, vertical scan lines as well, so when you play like a, a Game Gear game, or in an Atari Lynx game, it looks just like the original with the LCD uh, scan lines. That was cool. Um, yeah, actually, that's,
1: actually, that was proposed by Fudov, and it was really easy to implement, so there was no reason why not to include it.
0: Oh, cool. So how how are those drawn? Are they just uh, normally spaced, or is it the same method as doing the horizontal scan lines, but, you know, uh, vertical?
1: Yeah, it's basically the same method. So instead of every other line, then it's every other column.
0: Gotcha. Okay. Um, I've, I've played through as many of the, uh, the features as I could, and um, uh, some of the fine-tuning are, are great. And uh, the low-pass filter for sync, um, can you explain a little bit for the, because uh, I am not, I'm, I don't have an electrical engineering degree, I'm not really t- uh, too technical with it, so can you explain maybe why that's necessary on certain consoles? Because I found when I was using Sega Genesis, I would have to turn the, the sync low-pass filter all the way up for it to work
1: I guess you're using composite video as sync, mm-hmm. right?
0: Yeah, um, I think it was the, yeah, composite sync, or composite, yeah, c-sync, not composite video. As
1: okay, it. well, usually the LPF is needed with composite video because, of course, there's this carrier wave and other stuff in addition to the actual sync signal, so it can easily overshoot, so the low-pass filtering helps a lot in that case, but gotcha. if you're using C-Sync, then uh, I guess it might have to do something with the Genesis mode, or are you just taking the C-Sync out of the uh, DIM connector?
0: Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, Uh, Now, is there any downside to turning up the low-pass filter like that? I couldn't see any in my screen captures. The picture looked identical.
1: Uh, You mean turning it off or on?
0: Um, from a picture quality point of view, from turning it on. do you uh, Since it's only on the sync line, I didn't see any uh, difference in picture quality. Yeah,
1: usually there isn't any notable differences, but in theory, when you turn it off, then the sync edges uh, become slower, so you can get some jitter in worst case, but usually you don't notice anything.
0: Okay, okay. So the, um, the line triple mode, I was lucky enough to try that on a very nice 4K TV. Um, and it was just, I mean, it was very impressive. Um, and then I also, you know, I played with it on computer monitors. And, and I even tried it just on a CRT, just my Sony BVM, just to see what it looked like. Um, mm-hmm. But the only, the only issue that I've had with that is on my 1080p TV. Um, so if I understand correctly... Um, the reason sometimes uh, line triple mode won't be compatible with TVs is because of the um, the frame rate is different, the actual outputted uh, uh, frequency, is that correct?
1: Uh, actually, it's not the refresh rate, but the amount of lines when you count in the blanking lines too. So, actually 1080p is like uh, 1,125 lines, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when you are tripling something, like 240p, which is actually 262 scan lines, then it won't really end up to the 720p or 1080p amount of scan lines.
0: So um, for the 1080p sets that are compatible, you, uh, you do get that stretched image on that a little bit, um, which isn't bad. It's just not, um, you know, it's not a perfect integer scale. Um, it, and I guess for TVs that aren't compatible, um, I, I was reading through all the posts, and uh, you know, I've read. I was, I've been following the forum since the first day you posted on there. And if I understand correctly, it's that um, in order for it to be compatible with all TVs, you would actually have to require a frame buffer. Is that true? Uh, well,
1: not necessarily frame buffer, but at least multiple line buffers. Okay. So you would have to really. You can't just double or triple the lines. So you have have to have something more intelligent.
0: And that would inherently add at least a little bit of lag, right? Yeah, a little bit, but
1: it would be also more complex to implement something like that.
0: Right, right. Or
1: something like that should work with all modes and consoles. or a single console output it it would be of course more easy, but Mm -hmm. you have to support every mode.
0: Got you. Now, um so uh, the way right now that I've been dealing with that is I've been using the DVDO, uh, the VP50 scaler. So I use line triple mode from the OSSC into that. And that solves the compatibility issue with my Plasma TV. And it also was able to scale to 5X pretty perfectly. But, um, and I've noticed, and I've also sent it to Firebrand X, who's been posting on the forums, uh, it's not, the DVDO itself kind of softens the image. Uh, it's not the it's not your open source scan converter. So yeah, do you it's know of, video
1: scaler, so that's understandable.
0: Right. So do you know of any other options for people that want to use a second device to make it compatible with uh, pretty much all TVs and to have the different scaling options? Uh,
1: well, I don't know any really good options. So all those like external scalers are usually made from film material, so mm-hmm. you have. A, we might have some latency that said scaling quality is not usually the best for 2d games
0: mm. gotcha. yeah it's it's my preference to use just the OSSC on a 4k TV that way you don't have to worry about anything because you know it just scales right up in line triple mode um, And a, a few people on the forums are testing different TVs to see which are the most compatible which would uh... so hopefully we'll get that list compiled I think it's going on Matt's site on video game perfection if I remember but
1: yeah right I'm actually quite surprised that there are so many TVs that support the triple mode at all. I oh. thought that there wouldn't be hmm. almost any
0: well it's um it, it just comes in handy for just the compatibility of the different TVs because for p scaling it's you know it, you always get those different issues because it doesn't integer scale into any of the you know the 720 1080 or, or even yeah. 4k panels so um, so, is there anything else? Um, I mean, I know since it's open source, I know you're working on a bunch of things. You even have the list up of uh, future things to work on. But um, I was testing the version 0.7 firmware, which has been great. Um, is there anything coming up soon that's uh, going to be implemented next in that?
1: Uh, well, I think I listed the most important features on the Wikipedia. So,
0: mm-hmm.
1: of course, there's a few other things too, but. Uh, they're like more on the line, so those are the things that should be implemented. So,
0: gotcha. I think um, you know the. It's kind of funny because when when a product doesn't exist, you know people don't really have any ideas, and then as soon as a product comes out, everybody always has their suggestions on things they want to add to it. <laughs> so it's it must be a little frustrating to do all this work and come out with such a great product, and then have people ask all these questions at you. <laughs>
1: Well, I was some somewhat prepared, but <laughs> of course it's a bit different than you anticipate.
0: Yeah. Um, I mean, the only uh, after using it so often, the only things that I personally, for my use, would have wanted differently is, um, you know, a four X and five X scale. But is that even possible with uh, in a lag-free mode um, in a device like that, or would you need a whole other uh, processor?
1: Uh, what do you mean by it today for five X scale? If you five X times two hundred and forty P it's like over ten eighty P. So do you mean like computer monitors with uh thousand and two hundred P? It uh
0: it wouldn't it wouldn't automatically cut off the top and bottom like the Frame does, correct? Because of the um there's no post processing. Uh,
1: what do you mean by like not... Cutting,
0: so, so uh, on the Framemeister, if you if you set it to 5x mode, um, it'll actually go past the screen. Um, okay, so what you so actually it. see is more of the image.
1: Okay, you meant that, so... Uh, well, in theory, you can do the 5x like that. But the only problem is that the pixel clock gets quite high, so it may not be possible for the PC to build
0: that, but at least the 4X mode should be possible, I think. Okay, cool. Um, The uh, the other thing a lot of people were talking about, which I didn't really know how I felt about it, was uh, line doubling for 480p sources to make 960p. Um, Now that obviously on a 1080p TV would still have black bars on the top and the bottom, but I guess it would integer scale better to make for a more perfect upscale. Um, Is that something you've tested and something that's, uh, I mean, that that at least will work with it eventually? Or is that just kind of like something you were playing around with?
1: Uh, Yeah, I actually tested it a long time ago, so it's working now fine, but uh, the current thing is that it's like 640 times 960, so it's not like doubled in the horizontal direction. So I just have to implement that, so after that it should be more compatible.
0: Oh, okay. Well, that's good. Um, now, I guess the uh, the waiting list is going through video game perfection, um, but do you have plans to sell that through other places or to try to ramp up production so it's a little more readily available?
1: Uh, well, at least the pre-assembled boards are now all getting like, through video game perfection, but there's some talks about these do-it-yourself kits uh, yeah. They would be offered somewhere else too, so we'll see about that.
0: Okay. Yeah, that's cool because I think a lot of people um, who have their mod shops would probably be able to assemble them and sell them. And then that would solve your problem of worrying about the HDMI port on it because (laughs) if you're just selling the kits, you're uh, you're not selling an HDMI product, so you don't have to worry about licensing. Oh, yeah. Um, was that something that um, that you'd run into a problem with before? Uh, is, is that why you didn't uh, include the HDMI port on the pre-assembled kits? Uh,
1: well, it's not something I've run into before, and I don't think not that many people would have, or, or not that many companies would have care to sue me or anything, but uh, the thing is that if I would I have added the audio, I would like to have done it correctly, so it would have involved like three sets of RCA pairs, so that would have, of course, increased the PCB area quite much, so it was not the reason to not include the audio.
0: Okay, Um, and I I saw Bordy uh, made the add-on board for the do-it-yourself kits that would implement the audio from the SCART port?
1: Yeah, it's also compatible with pre-assembled ports, so even though you have the DVI connector, it's like fully compatible if you just use DVI to HDMI cable.
0: Oh, I didn't realize that. Oh, I thought it was just for the, the do-it-yourself boards. That's very cool. Yeah. Um, like
1: no other difference than the physical connector.
0: Oh, well then that's that. Yeah, then that really wouldn't matter then because those DVI to HDMI cables are very cheap. So.
1: Yeah.
0: Hmm. Um, do you know if he's going to be producing those boards at all, or or is anybody is Matt going to be selling those on the site as well?
1: Yeah, there has been some talks. I think Matt is trying to get some of the board to to his talk. So that's probably the way to get those in the future.
0: Got you. Now, uh, is there plans, uh, obviously, you know, with this one, I'm sure it's a hobby and you're going to be working on it, you know, as time allows, but is there also plans for uh, other products in the future? Any other things that you're working on, either another upscaler or anything else that you're working on?
1: Well, there has been some preliminary discussions, but, you know, before <laughs> signing up to another project like this, I have to be careful because this has got quite a lot of work recently, so yes. Yes. you have to be careful when signing up for a successful project or something similar.
0: Yeah, I have to admit, if I realized how much time I would actually spend on the website, uh, but when I started it, I probably wouldn't have started it. <laughs> it's just, it's been such a huge project, so I know how um, how time-consuming things can become. So. Yeah, and
1: another thing is that if I really end up doing something like this in the future, I won't be doing it alone anymore, so. Right, right. you have to have some people helping me. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. Um well there's a I mean I guess there's always an opportunity to make it an official product instead of uh, an open source um, I'm not sure uh, are you in Denmark Finland. Uh, oh Finland that's right I'm sorry um so some of my favorite bands are from Finland actually <laughs> Orifice and uh of course I, everybody likes lordy but I don't <laughs> but um it, it does how does it work over there with starting a company? Because, for all of America's faults, the one big advantage we have here is anybody could just go to a town hall, fill out some paperwork, start a company, and then you could actually uh, legally sell these things and, and have all the tax advantages. Is it like that in Finland as well, if you wanted to start a, um, a company and, and actually make your own processor like that?
1: Well, traditionally, it's been quite hard and included a lot of bureaucracy here, but recently there has been kind of startup movement, so there's lots of stuff going on and things are getting easier and people are a like lot more towards the startup, so it's getting better.
0: Oh, well that's good to hear. Um, so um, I forgot one other question. Um, the, uh, the community around this has been great. Everybody's been very supportive, everybody's been sharing their ideas. And uh, one of the things that Firebrand X does is he has the patches for the Framemeister, so that, you know, you could just select different pre-configurations. Is that mm-hmm. something that's on the list of things to do for the open source scan converter?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Profiles are on the list.
0: Oh, that's great. Because that's, um, you know, I personally very much enjoy tinkering with this stuff. I, I, you know, I spend more time writing about game consoles than I do playing them. But for, the most, uh, for most people, that's not the case. They just want to buy something, plug it in, and have it work. So, you know, if somebody ha- checks and their TV's on the line triple compatible list, they can just, you know, buy the buy the box, down, you know, download the patches and and keep going without any tweaking at all. So that's pretty cool. I'm I'm glad that's a feature that's coming up. So, sure. um, well, I mean, thank you very much for jumping on and doing this. I really appreciate it. I think uh, a lot of people have wanted to to kind of hear your story on this and and hear the details. Um, Is there anything else that you wanted to talk about? Any any questions maybe I forgot or anything like that?
1: Uh, Well, I don't know. Maybe I can say that the new batch of 100s boards have just shipped to me, so Mm -hmm. people are getting this quite soon, (laughs) that kind of announcement.
0: Okay, okay. Um, well, thank you very much, uh, and you know, thank you for making the, the open source CAN converter. I know I enjoy it, and uh, I'll be promoting your products uh, every time you have something out. Yeah, that's great. Take care.